Awesome. All right, let's get going. So welcome and thank you for joining us on Colin for our new show, Unruly, with Ryan and Rob. This is your co-host, Ryan Knight, and I'm excited to be joined by our other co-host, Rob uh, Bermudez. What's up, everyone? And our guest. Hello. I kind of lost you there, Ryan. I think he was saying. Ryan, if you're there, we kind of lost you. Oh, shoot. There we go. Now we're back. Did you get my intro of, of Braun? Nope. <laughs> we got right up to that point, and then you dropped. So oh, weird. We... Okay. Uh, Ron, uh, so and I'm excited to uh, introduce our guest today, Ron Placone. Ron is a comedian and the host of the show Get Your News On with Ron. Ron, welcome to Unruly. What's up? Thanks so much for having me. Good to be here. And, and this is my first call-in, so thank you for... Uh... Thank you for initiating me to this platform. I've heard a lot about it, but uh, this is my first time here. And uh, also, I got to mention, Ryan, was your birthday yesterday? Yesterday was my birthday. 41 uh, revolutions around the sun now. Nice, man. Well, well, happy belated. And also, fun fact, you and my wife have the same birthday. Oh, look at that. Yeah, yesterday was my wife's birthday, so uh, so we had a good time. You, you are also a St. Paddy's Day baby. I am a St. Paddy's Day baby from an Irish family. You can't get any more cliche than that. <laughs> Stay with my <laughs> wife, man. Yeah, she's Irish as well, so fun times. Yes, uh, that that's really cool. Well, let's uh, let's we're going to start off and, and kind of talk about the the, the headlines, the, the major headlines of the week. But then I kind of want to lighten things up a bit. Uh, I know you're a comedian and you're on tour right now, I believe. So I kind of want to ask you about, you know, what the role of comedy is, uh, you know, during a moment like this, you know, when you're living in a mm-hmm. dystopian hellscape and everything feels like it's, the, you know, feels like the world is falling apart. Um, but, you know, first I, I want to talk ab- about uh, the U.S. response to the, the ongoing conflict uh, in Ukraine uh, and, the, and the conflict between Russia and Ukraine. Because in my view, the war-hungry corporate media and both imperialist parties are starting to lose the plot here. Uh, you know, they're currently, this week, the big thing is a, a, a quote-unquote no-fly zone. And many of those that are, you know, on CNN or MSNBC or Fox News calling for a no-fly zone are not really aware of, of the implications and, and that the establishment of a no-fly zone itself it is a military action. It would mean that U.S. fighters uh, would actually attack uh, Russian aircraft in Ukraine airspace, which could then uh, provoke and lead to World War III. So in my view, the only approach the U.S. Congress should be taking is to de-escalate the situation and promote the ongoing peace talks between Russia and Ukraine. Pushing for the end of this war and stopping the threat of World War III is the only thing that matters right now. But of course, rather than you know make promoting peace talks, the the, the central response, uh, Congress is sending more weapons to a war zone, and they're also promoting censorship of anyone who opposes U.S. and NATO imperialism. They they're, they have gone so far as to censor some of the most important uh, anti-imperialist voices of our lifetime. Uh, YouTube right now is removing episodes of Chris Hedges' show as well as Abby Martin. So, Ron. Mm-hmm. What does it tell you about the U.S. Congress, the corporate media, and especially Democrats, that, that the central response uh, is to push for uh, 
is not, excuse me, to push for de-escalation and, and peace talks, but to push for more weapons and censorship of anyone who disagrees with their approach. Well, I mean, we are once again, you know, drums for war and, and just parroting the pro-war narrative, which we've always done for years and years and years and years now, since it, at least since World War II. And, uh, you know, it's really, I mean, it's not surprising at all. It's like the least surprising thing ever. What, what's mildly surprising is just how propagandized as a nation we really are. I mean, we're resetting the bar this time where it's just like, you know, and again, I'm against what the U.S. is doing. I'm also against what Russia is doing. It, it's not like there's any good guys in this scenario, you know, right. like it's just like kind of a web of bad guys. And your heart goes out to the people involved who are just trying to live their lives and are kind of, you know, suffering right now because of the actions of their their governments. And the United States has been an instigator for eight years and counting. You can't, you know, forget about that. It, it's the truth. And they really showed their full behind today. I don't know if we're allowed to curse on this or not. <laughs> you can say whatever the the fuck you want. <laughs> All right. Well, they, they really showed their full ass today where, I mean, I think it was Nancy Pelosi who was being asked, like, hey, are you going to help anybody with COVID? And, and she's just, well... We got to we got to get weapons out there. We got to do this. And people are suffering in Ukraine. They're like, yeah, people are suffering from COVID, though, here at home, too. And so it really is just all about the war machine. And just to be clear, too, it's not about helping people in Ukraine. It's about escalating the war machine uh, in Ukraine. This is about, you know, like NATO imperialist interests, United States imperialist interests. Um, and this is about the war economy that we've built for quite a while where you just have a handful of people profiting off of this war economy. And what happens at home? Well, everyone accepts a declining and declining quality of life. It's also completely repulsive all around the world, you know? And, and people try to make it out like, oh, if you're against United States imperialism, you must be pro-Putin. Or, oh, if you're against what Putin is doing, you must be fine with, with armed neo-Nazis in Ukraine and the United States imperialism. And it's like, no, I'm against all imperialism. I'm yeah. against all imperialism, and I see it for what it is. Putin's not a good guy, but you know who else isn't a good guy? The United States and what we have been doing provoking this for eight years and counting. Uh, the neo-Nazis were arming in Ukraine. They're not good guys either. There's a big web of bad guys here. And by the way, you know who my heart goes out to? The people in Russia who are dealing with all this nonsense and the xenophobia. The people in Ukraine who are fleeing and they're scared. The people in Somalia and in Yemen and in Syria, because, oh, by the way, while all this was going on, the United States was dropping bombs there. So, you know, again, it's like the bad guy is imperialism. The bad guy are the oligarchs, which, by the way, you can't help but notice a couple humorous asides here. There's some people in the country who have just discovered that oligarchs are a thing all of a sudden. But you know what? They only exist in Russia. <laughs> no other country has oligarchs, just Russia, and they're all bad, and they don't have yachts anymore. So everything is fine. By the way, Jeff Bezos, what a freaking hero. Yeah, it's like that That, that to me is is one of the great, you know, hi hi hypocritical uh, things of this moment that you, you have a lot of mostly, I would say, propaganda, propagandized liberals who, you know, the MSNBC watchers who think mm -hmm. that, you know, that only oligarchs exist in Russia and they have no idea that the United States government and both corrupt parties are also controlled by oligarchs. They're just the United States oligarchs 
And they're the ones who are really keeping people uh, in this country from having a higher quality of life, from having universal health care, from, from having a, a, a living wage and, and, uh, and a place to live that is affordable. You know, so it, it does, it really does blow my mind. And, and, and also this idea that like, you know, it shouldn't be a radical position to take, which now it is, you know, I'm being called extreme and radical because, because I believe that the anti-war and anti-imperialist position is pushing for peace talks, not sending more weapons to a war zone, not putting gasoline on a fire, not escalating a situation that is already so out of control. And look, there was a poll out this week that is really alarming. Over 35% of Americans right now support the U.S. taking military action against Russia, even if that risks nuclear war. And this, to me, is what's so dangerous, you know, when you have a a corporate media that inundates the public with pro-war propaganda uh, and, and, you know, things like a no-fly zone where where they it's kind of like doublespeak. It sounds so innocent, but no, it means we're going to be shooting down Russian aircraft which then puts two uh, of the biggest uh, superpowers in the world against each other who also have the most nukes in the world. And I just think it's like, I'm over here like, where are the adults in the room? Where mm-hmm. are the level minds who are trying to de-escalate the situation and trying to bring peace to the people of, of Ukraine, Russia, and of the entire world? Because let's be clear, everyone in the world deserves to live in peace and dignity. And what and the reality is what's stopping it are corrupt governments like the United States and Russia's and all the oligarchs throughout the world who just want to keep hoarding wealth at the expense of the working class. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I think some of the points you're bringing up where it's like all these Americans are OK with it, this kind of gets into the corporate media component of it. We have a, a, a truly, truly extreme to the gills, pro-war media. And we've had one for a long time. Why do we have that? Well, because we've given away news and information to the corporate, uh, to the corporations. A lot of people are very surprised. I mean, everyone's talking about like Russian propaganda and all this other stuff. I'm not saying that doesn't exist. Of course it freaking does. But you know what? If you look at a press index worth a damn, you know who ranks side by side by each other? The United States and Russia, meaning we both have very unhealthy uh, media situations. So, you know, everyone makes it out like, oh, state media is some boogeyman. Ooh, you know what's a state media system? The BBC, the CBC, NHK out in Japan, what Norway has. I'm not saying any media structure is perfect, but all those things I just mentioned are a hell of a lot better than what we have in the United States. And any press index worth a damn will tell you that. And uh, so we have news systems owned by corporate interests, which include the likes of Halliburton and weapons manufacturers. I mean, when you turn on cable news and you see a commercial for the defense industry, why do you think that is? Do you think the average person is in the market for a new frickin tank and they're shopping around? <laughs> you know, of course not. They're, they're buying favorable coverage. Same thing with the oil and gas companies. That's why you don't see an honest report on climate change from the corporate media. And when you see a little inkling of truth, people freaking wet themselves because, yeah. oh, my God, they actually you know, told us the truth for one minute about what's going on with climate change. They, they acknowledge that the IPCC report exists and some people give a damn. Holy cow. 
I never thought I'd see that in the Washington Post. They did the bare minimum. Let's pat everyone on the back now. It's absolutely mind-blowing. And anyone who has just taken a journalism class in the seventh grade even can tell you this is conflict of interest 101. In tons of other countries, a media structure like ours wouldn't even be legal. And we are, as a result, we're heavily, heavily war propagandized to the frickin' gills. And what's the narrative they're pushing? Well, they want to make it out like Putin's just some insane lunatic who just randomly decided to go into Ukraine. Again, I'm not condoning Putin's actions. Putin is not a good guy. What he is doing is terrible. I'm not in support of the guy. But to try to oversimplify uh, what's really going on is straight up wrong. That's not the case. He's been provoked for eight freaking years by the United States. Yeah, well, and one of the main problems that I have with the U.S. continuing to intervene in other nations' affairs is how hypocritical it is for us to be pushing our system onto other nations when our system is not working here at home. You know, under this U.S. oligarchic capitalism that we have, just three billionaires now hoard more wealth than half of the entire nation. And no nation wants this level of inequality. Also, there, there are two recent uh, United Nations votes that I want to draw people's attention to. The United States is the only, and you can go look this up, it's the only country in the United Nations to vote against both making food a human right and combating the glorification of Nazism. So maybe, just maybe, the best thing that our country can do for the world is to stop intervening in other nations' affairs and instead address our own nation's greed and racism problems? <laughs> what are your thoughts on that, Ron? Yeah, I agree with you 100, 100%. And yeah, those two things are, are really something uh, worth highlighting. I mean, it's amazing. And and I think the, the Nazi one, that happened a while ago too, didn't it? Like that was from a little bit ago. Yeah, it was, um, it was in the last few years. And, and, yeah. and it just, it blew my mind. I mean, we're, we're the only nation that voted against uh, gl the glorification, uh, fi uh, excuse me, fi combating the glorification of Nazism. I mean, that's such a slam dunk. Well, there was, a second, there was a second country that voted against it. It was Ukraine. <laughs> it was the United States and Ukraine both voted against that resolution to fight Nazism. And the United right. States and Israel were the two countries voting against uh, food as a human right. So right. But when we're you the only combine one, the two, we're the, we're, we check both right, those Rob, boxes we're the only enthusiastically. One special distinction of voting against fighting Nazis and voting against food as a human right. So we did both. You know, those are like we went two, two for two. That's American exceptionalism at its best. We are number <laughs> yeah. one. We kill two birds with one stone or with one drone, maybe. I don't know. Maybe I'm just spitballing here. I mean, the food one, God, I'd love to see that, that mental gymnastics, whatever pretzel logic they threw with that one. Food yeah. isn't a human right. Explain how you can take that position in the, the pretty much the richest country the history of the world has ever seen. Yeah, we don't think food's a human right. We're going to throw it away by the barrel full. We have all kinds of ridiculous policies where it's like food gets thrown away every freaking day. If you really wanted to in this country, you could survive out of a dumpster with how much food gets thrown away. And we have laws encouraging that instead of the opposite, where it's like, hey, there's laws that you can't freaking waste food. I get that you have to have like freshness standards and stuff like that, but there's no reason why we can't have a system in place where no food gets wasted in this country. The fact that anybody goes to bed hungry is just, 
it's an abomination. Like there's no reason for it to ever happen here ever, but it does every day. And we saw during the pandemic, there was, you know, uh, milk producers, the market was, was kind of tanking. They, they were making more milk than they could sell. And instead of donating it to food shelters, instead of doing something good with it, they were literally dumping it down the drain. And their rationale was, well, if we just gave it away, it would tank our milk prices and we'd be run out of business. And I think it's, it's, very telling that when you have a system in this country that actively encourages you to be as cutthroat as possible to push everyone aside and a a country that, by the way, when we talk about rules and, you know, uh, what should be allowed and what shouldn't be allowed. I think it's very interesting that the United States Congress voted and, and approved this resolution that basically said, if we ever try to get tried in international court, we can invade the how we can like, we these rules do not apply to us because I guess because we have the biggest stick and and I would assume it's also because of just you know U.S. hegemony has has led us to be in this position where we are in control of the IMF we're in control of these large institutions that get leveraged uh, to to basically bully smaller countries around and I guess this this kind of leads into a little segue do you see the events in in Russia and Ukraine as kind of the um, emerging of a multipolar world? Because as of right now, it, the United States and the West, it's like a, a, a unipolar kind of world that we're living in. Do you do you think that maybe as horrible as this crisis is, one of the positives that could potentially come are, are new uh, relationships between countries to kind of stand up to not only like the U.S. petrodollar, but just to stand up to America in general? That That's the hope. Absolutely. I, I mean, will that come to fruition? I, I wish I knew. But uh, but yeah, I would love to see. I mean, if we're talking like trying to view silver linings and, and a horrible, atrocious things, um, it'd be awesome, especially if like the EU uh, told us to go get bent. You know, I mean, if they were just like, you know what, we're done with you guys. You guys are assholes. And uh, if Australia was kind of like, hey, United States, you have wanted us to kind of be your little lackey uh, for a long time now and you treat us like shit, we're freaking done with you. Um, You know, and at the end of the day, everyone's acknowledging that the United States and Israel are are pretty much the world's bullies. And uh, we're going to make them sit at their own freaking lunch table now because they're not very nice. Um, I feel like that could be a silver lining because it's like. When you look at what we are on the world stage, what the United States is on the world stage, we are by far the most repulsive actor. Are there other bad actors? Of course there are, and nobody's perfect. I'm not trying to make it out like like everywhere else is utopia. Of course that isn't the case. But we're the empire. I, I mean, there, there's no denying that. We are the freaking empire. And people in the United States, you know, not everybody, but a lot of people in the United States, they're propagandized to believe that, well, somebody's got to be the world's bully. So it, it might as well be us. It, it's better that it's us. Well, we wrote that freaking rule that we need to have a, a world bully. Like, 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 where is that written? Somebody show me where that rule's written and let's scratch that thing out. Because that's a shitty rule. I don't think it's freaking necessary. I'm not going to say that the world's not going to have its conflicts. I mean, of course, that's not going to be the case. But we don't need to have some empire brutalizing the freaking world. We've always had one, and the same things happened every time. It eventually falls, and it falls hard. We're going to end like like every other empire eventually. I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't know when. But it's going to happen. I mean, that's how it happened all throughout human history. And And you'd like to think that maybe, just maybe, 
we're evolving to the point where we can decide, yeah, you know, maybe we can just kind of cooperate and solve problems collectively. It's not impossible. We, uh, the only reason human history has made it this far is because we decided to do that a long freaking time ago when we climbed out of trees and decided, hey, we're better off hunting together than dying alone. And it's true what you say. I mean, all empires throughout history, they do fall. And, and the common denominator that brings them down, it's always greed. You know, it's yeah. always, you can look back at Rome, you know, where it's, it's always, it's, it's the ruling class who gets, they get so blinded by their ambition, by their greed, by their power, that they continue to just hoard more and more wealth at the expense of the working class, and it always ends up backfiring on them. But it's almost like they, they're they so blinded by their greed that they can't see reality. And, you know, you also hear, you know, whenever I turn on corporate media these days, it's like, and I don't watch much of it anymore. You know, working in independent media, I, I just, it's, it's so hard to watch CNN or MSNBC or Fox News. You know, they're all the same to me. You know, sure, they have a different base that they all have talking points to and, and fear mongering that they use to to keep them hooked. But but at the end of the day, when you turn it on, they're never discussing issues that that impact everyday people. You know, they're not talking about Medicare for all. They're not talking about, you know, uh, you know, uh, raising the minimum wage. They're not talking about policies that will actually benefit, you know, everyday people. It's always like, oh, my gosh, you know, can you believe it? Trump said this or, you know. Just ridiculous narratives uh, that, that only really apply to the ruling class about, oh, this person said this. You know, they make it a battle of personalities. And they're always kind of distracting the American people from the fact that we're getting our pockets picked uh, and looted by the working class. And we're seeing opportunity shrink in this country. And we're seeing more wealth consolidate at the top. And, and so it's like, as long as we have a system, I think, that puts the endless profits of corporations and the ruling class, you know, over the, the dignity of everyday people and, and the sustainability of our planet, we're always going to be stuck in these situations. You know, there's no profit in, in peace. You know, there's no profit in, in making sure food is a human right. There's no profit in making healthcare a human right. So at the end of the day, it just comes back to like, we're going to have to have um, movements and, and people who are courageous enough to stand up against this greed and against a system that continues to, you know, uh, exploit the working class to enrich the ruling class. And until we do that, it's just going to be more of the same, unfortunately. And this well, is actually a really good segue uh, to the next segment, because this weekend uh, is the third party summit. Uh, and amidst all the, the, the hopelessness that we talk about, and because I think it's important to talk about just, I don't even want to call it hopelessness, but the, the fact that we're in a, a tough situation. Uh, but there is a little bit of hope. There is a new Gallup poll out recently, and 62% of Americans say uh, that both parties do such a poor job of representing the American people that a third party is needed. And this is the highest support for a third party since Gallup started polling the question uh, all the way back in 2003. Uh, so, Ron, uh, what do you see as, as the biggest barrier to establishing a third party, of really a viable third party that can challenge the duopoly? Uh, and what is also the biggest opportunity uh, to, to establish a, a third party? Well, I think the biggest barrier is that we really do need a true systemic change to have a viable third party option. 
Mm. Um, like, like we just do. I mean, and it's set up that way by design. I mean, it's set up that way that, that it's like, you know, when it, everything from ballot access to uh, funding to everything in between, it's really set up so that we have this, you know, duopoly. I like to call it Wall Street Team R and Wall Street Team D. And uh, they got a nice little system going together. You know, I mean, the Apple, the Apple cart keeps rolling for both of them, no matter what happens. I would argue that the Democratic Party isn't even all that concerned with winning 90 some percent of the time. They just want to keep the gravy train a rolling. Um, and that's by design. That's why both parties will come together to uh, fight against something like ranked choice voting, to fight against something like uh, matching federal funding, to make sure that in a, you know, a, a bill like H.R. 1, there's some poison pills for third parties uh, involved. So. That's the biggest barrier. We need a true systemic change in the way our politics are funded, uh, in the way our, our system works, in the manner in which we vote. Um, we really need to change the system in that way. Now, is that an impossible feat? It, it really isn't. And as far as the opportunity to be gained, I, I mean, that's just when you look at more, you know, governments that have more proportional representation. I mean, I have a good buddy who's from Sweden and we talk about things all the time. And he goes, look, Ron, you know, you probably know it's not like the socialists and the communists have like a ton of power in, in other countries either typically, but they have, they have some representation. You know what that means? That means that the other parties that have more seats need to meet them. They need to reach out to them. They need to form alliances. And that's why you have, or one of the reasons at least, why you have uh, more social democratic countries and, and, you know, like in the Scandinavian countries and in the European countries. Um, and that's why in a lot of other places, the bark is not quite as bad. I mean, you can even look at Boris Johnson's England. Am I a big fan of Boris Johnson? No. Do I agree? Do I agree with the guy on a whole lot? No. I disagree with him a hell of a lot more than I agree with him. But is he as fierce and dangerous and extreme as the Republicans? No. The Tories are not. Are the Tories to the left of the Democrats? Yeah. For the most part, yeah, they are. They are to the. I mean. England, which, by the way, in the eyes of the EU, which England isn't really part of the EU anymore because of Brexit. Well, they're not. There's no really about it. They're not part of the EU. I don't know why I had the qualifier in there. But England is con considered one of the more right wing places out of all those countries. And even them, compared to us, they're a right wing party, which don't get me wrong, is an absolute batshit party. I mean, the Tories are freaking terrible. But even the Tories are less extreme than both of our major parties. So when you don't have actual... And if anyone doesn't believe you, just think of the fact, of, just think of this little fact. The, the right-wing party in England, the Tories, support a, a, a universal single-payer healthcare system for right. all of the people in England, whereas our Democratic Party does not support a single-payer a universal healthcare system because they are funded by the giant insurance corporations. So you've got the right wing party in, in England that is, that is more to the left on healthcare than our Democrats are. Which is insane. And, and, insane. It's, one of those, and, and it's funny because like sometimes I will get like some emails from people and, and one of the criticisms that people have lobbed at me that I actually do think is kind of fair is, is they, they say that sometimes I'm a little bit 
soft on the EU and, and I kind of make it out like the EU is some, you know, utopia. And that is not the case. And, and I'm sorry if I ever come across like it is. But, you know, I, again, when you're talking magnitude, it, it just goes to show you. And again, when I say this stuff, I'm not a fan of the Tories. I disagree with them on pretty much everything. But like you said, Ryan, they're at least for healthcare as a human right. I mean, yeah, yeah they're, they're trying to privatize more stuff and they definitely got their issues. But they're not for stripping it away from people. In fact, Boris yeah. Johnson throughout the pandemic said the NHS needed more funding. Again, I'm not saying he's a good guy. He isn't. But when you compare that, I mean, we can't even get freaking Joe Biden to consider it as an emergency. And, and, Joe and Biden isn't be- even fighting for the moderate public option like he campaigned on. You know, I mean, we can't forget about getting Democrats to support single payer. I mean, that was... That's just that's that they completely oppose it. They might say, oh, healthcare is a human right when they want your vote, but they won't stand up to the giant insurance companies, which are one of their biggest donors. But we can't even get Joe Biden to fight for his moderate campaign promise, which is a public option. So we're so far from anything that resembles dignity and justice for all people in this country that, it, you, you know, when you compare us to Europe, you know, I look at Europe. Yeah, sure. Do they still have predatory capitalism? Absolutely. Do they still have some oligarchs? Absolutely. They still have a market that's built on exploitation. However, they have a lot less exploitation than we do. In the United States of America, there is no, there is no people in the world who, there's no working class that is exploited more from their health care to the energy companies, to their actual, their own employer. I mean, if you just look at every sector in our, in our economy, it's built on exploiting and taking as much money away from the poor and working class as possible and funneling, funneling it up to the rich. We pay more for health care. We pay, you know, we're paying more for energy. You know, we we're so backwards in so many ways. Look at our housing costs. Like the cost of housing here is ridiculous. Where then if you compare to the working class in Europe, at least working class people are getting a little bit from their tax dollars. They're getting health care. They're getting, you know, good education. They're getting roads and bridges. In America, forget it. You're just getting exploited by both political parties and the, the corporations and billionaires who own them. Yeah, absolutely, man. And, and this also goes into, you know, to bring it back to like third parties, it's like you need that checks and balances because yes. you want to talk about exploitation. Here's another thing that happened recently. Um, Joe Biden was saying, hey, it's time to go back to work. It's time to go back into the office. Get back into the office. Get back. You know, go back to the office. Why was he doing that? Was it for public health? Well, I mean, the pandemic's still amidst us, so it definitely wasn't for that. Was it even for productivity? Well, study after study reveals that people are actually more productive working remotely. So it wasn't for that either. So what was it for? Well, a bunch of real estate developers are making money off of these office spaces, and they don't want that to change. They hate the idea of maybe someday that's going to be affordable housing for people because we don't work the same way. They hate the idea of their big skyscraper sitting empty. They don't want that to change. And they have Joe Biden's ear and they have, you know, the entire government's ear, not just Joe Biden, Republicans, Democrats, everything. And they're saying, get these people back to work. So when you, th- you want to talk about exploitation, it's not enough that your labor is exploited and you're not paid anything near what you deserve in most cases. It's not enough that you have straight up. I mean, honestly, it's, it's taxation without representation. I mean, it's like we pay taxes. Yep. 
and we get nothing in return. We don't get roads. We don't get health care. We don't get educational opportunities. It's not enough that they exploit you. If you want to go to college, you're going to be in, in debt for the rest of your life. And there's going to be agencies that exploit you via predatory loans. Same if you want to get a leg up uh, for a vehicle or anything else. You know, that is still to them not enough. There's another way they can exploit you. And it's just as simple as making sure you are an involuntary customer. You can work from home with your internet connection in some cases, but even that, no, 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 you need to be in this freaking office because there's someone making money off of all this. You need to be an involuntary customer or you don't get that job. So yeah, you are nothing more than a dollar sign and just an object to be exploited for everything you are worth until you're dirt in the freaking ground. Oh, and by the way, once you're dirt in that ground, funeral costs, they ain't cheap, baby. We're going to charge you there too. So, I mean, it, it really is like we are just such a cruel, predatory, failed experiment. Yeah. And when you, when you just look back at it to, you know, the way this country was founded, which of course was through complete bloodshed and brutalizing the people that were here first, uh, you know, the Native Americans, they, they, had a, they had a great society based on human needs. Uh, we came here, we destroyed that. We had, a, you know, a bunch of things written by the, these relatively young people who in some cases were religious extremists. Most of them were slave owners. And we're supposed to never question this stuff. We're supposed to. I mean, I love like when they parrot these cliches like, well, the forefathers wouldn't have. Oh, the forefathers, the people who own slaves, right? The people who would pace uh, 15 steps and then shoot each other to solve their fucking problems. Yeah. Let, whatever they would say, let's make sure we stick to that because clearly they never got anything freaking wrong. Um, right. It, well, and it kind of feels like we're thing. right back. We're, we're right back where we started because the whole experiment started by trying to run away from a monarchy, right? Trying to run away from a repressive government. And then that's really what we've become. You know, we're, we're back to the feudal times and, and we've created new uh, kings. And, and those kings are people like Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk and Bill Gates, who the three of them hoard more wealth than half of our entire nation. And I always say that because it just blows my mind. Like those three men have more combined wealth than 160 million Americans. It's absolutely outrageous that anyone continues to prop up an economy that's controlled uh, by these by a handful of oligarchs. Like that is why they want that they want us to go to work every day to continue to enrich the handful of oligarchs who control the American economy. And, it, yeah. and, and so and that for me is what I when I finally saw the Democrats for who they were, their job, you know, both parties, Republicans, Democrats, they both work for the big banks. They both work for the military industrial complex. They both work, you know, for Wall Street. They just kind of have different roles because the Republicans are just very like, yeah, this is what we are. We believe in capitalism. We're, we believe in corporate greed. Let's go. You know, that's their whole shtick. They're the free markets, quote unquote, free markets. I, I personally don't believe that a market is free if. Uh, anyone has to be exploited to maintain it. And right now, mm -hmm. this quote unquote free market is literally maintained by the exploitation of labor, uh, both here in our country and, and abroad. But but the point I, I, I was trying to make was is literally that's what we've done in this country. We've we've just we 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 founded it by running away from an from a monarchy. And now we've we've built a, a country that the new oligarchs are these billionaires who have you know more wealth than any human being needs to have. And they use their wealth and power uh, to continue to exploit uh, the people and planet. And, you know, now I think they're understanding that, OK, well, we've 
pretty much exploited all the labor on this planet and exploited all the natural resources. So what's left for us to do? Oh, we need to go exploit space. You know, we need to go colonize Mars, you know, because now that we've overexploited the earth and there's going to be nothing left, you know, you know, 50, 100 years from now, let's go take this kind of thinking and this predatory system. And now let's go, you know, exploit the universe. And that to me, what's so sad about this whole experiment is like, we don't need to leave Earth. We need to get it right here. But no, mm-hmm. the people with all the power and money, they just want to go take this failed experiment and go repeat it. And it, and for me, it's just, it's it's self-will run riot. It, it's, it's what humans become when we're only driven by greed and and, and ambition that, 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 and power. And I think we need a lot more uh, leadership that's about the collective, that's about you know, the, the needs of people and not, not the wants. And, and unfortunately society's so out of balance that it's, it's really, and so tilted towards greed in the ruling class that it's really hard to get us back to a kind of system that you talked about where, where the, look at the native Americans when someone was sick in their village, you know, a couple hundred years ago where they're like, Oh, let me check to see if they have health insurance. No, they would do whatever it took to go find a, a natural remedy and, and, and save the person. And now we live in a society where if you don't have enough money for healthcare or for housing or, or for food, well, then you're just going to die and starve. That's literally the society we've become. And then we have a media and politicians who try to dress it up and act like we're the good guys. And this is also great. And I'm like, it's time to disrupt the illusion of American exceptionalism or American democracy. We don't live in a democracy. We are the oligarchy. We are the empire. If you like Star Wars, we are Darth Vader and and we're the bad guys. Yeah, I like to tell people, you know, because uh, a lot of people watch Game of Thrones. I'm always like, look, we are the King's Landing of the world. Yep. You know, where it's like, I mean, there were a handful of really rich people who had a great life there. Everybody else was just, you know, poor and suffering basically and was going off and fighting wars that they didn't want to be in they didn't even know why they were there but they had no freaking choice i mean that's the united states we're the freaking uh you know king's landing of the world and and i think the big thing is we need to start as a society completely unlearning and abolishing capitalism there is no way around i mean whenever somebody and i know people love to tie a bow on capitalism and try to polish that turd of like, well, it's not capitalism. It's predatory capitalism. It's not capitalism. It's crony capitalism. It's not capitalism. It's No, it's freaking capitalism. Okay. Full stop. It's capitalism. You cannot do capitalism ethically. There's no such freaking thing because it's private ownership, profit above all else. Who cares who gets screwed? That's why under capitalism, you would celebrate somebody like a Jeff Bezos. Oh, what a genius. Look at what he's created. What a genius. The dude's a freaking sociopath. Think of what it actually takes to earn a billion dollars. Think of who you have to screw over willingly to earn a billion dollars. That's not something to be celebrated. That guy should, that guy should be getting serious psychiatric help. Because, I mean, he's magnitude's worse than the kid that would freaking, you know, light ants on fire with a magnifying glass. And that kid, everyone was worried about. You know, I mean, that's that kid all grow up, grown up times 12. Yeah. And we're supposed to celebrate this. And, and again, it's that capitalist mindset. We are Ayn Rand on steroids. 
And people celebrate this nonsense, whereas it should be the total opposite. It should be like, that's disgusting what they're doing. It shouldn't be legal what they're doing. Look at all the people they exploited to get to where they're at. How terrible is that? And they could have treated everybody right and still been fine. Uh, Jeff Bezos could give everyone a living wage. He could treat everyone great. He could have taken care of everyone around him. He could have still built something like Amazon. Wouldn't be quite as extensive, probably. And he'd still be rich. The guy would still be rich. Like, no one's saying, like, hey, if you invent something great, you know, you shouldn't be able to see the fruits of that. Of course you can. I have no problem with that. That's fine. But when you get to this point, when you get to the point where it's like you are a billionaire, I mean, people, that's like when you make enough money that it would take the regular person thousands of years to make the money you make in a freaking day. And you look around and you're like, oh, how could I possibly help out here? I know I'll take my penis rocket into space for like a minute and a half. <laughs> what the, something's seriously wrong with you. Like, like yeah. something is seriously wrong with you and seriously wrong with the society that celebrates that. And you know what? The climate's freaking collapsing. So at the end of the day, we really do have one choice. We either are going to consume ourselves to death or we are going to have a society that is based on meeting human needs and caring for the earth. I wonder if there's a name for that. Oh, yeah, there is. It's called eco-socialism. There's a freaking name for it. There's a whole new Green New Deal around it. It's called the eco-socialist Green New Deal. It's the original Green New Deal that started uh, you know, over in Europe and got brought here by the Green Party. Getting it back to third parties, by the way. And that's the original. That's not the co-opted one. That's the original Green New Deal. That's literally what we have to do as a society if we want to get through this thing. Yeah, no, well said. Um, well, for, for those who don't know, uh, also you are, in addition to being an independent journalist and hosting your Get, get Your News On With Ron show, you're also a comedian and you're on tour right now. Uh, and I just wanted to ask you, you know, with everything going on in the world and kind of, you know, in this dystopian hellscape that we live in, I think it's Im more important than ever to laugh and find joy wherever you can. H how is the audience responding to your shows? And, and what do you see kind of is the role of comedy in these turbulent times we're in? Well, I, I didn't want to I didn't want to cut off your question. But just to clarify, I'm not on tour right now. Uh, I oh, I thought for tour. Yeah, I mean, I'm doing some local shows around L.A. and stuff. But Excuse uh, but me, I, I got bad intel. No, no worries. I, I leave for tour next month, and oh, I'm gotcha. going I'm going to the Northeast in Canada, and I'll rattle off those dates before we close out here, if that's cool with you. But um, Of course. But, uh, but yeah, I, um, I don't know, man. I mean, I've always just uh, – I mean, I've been a stand-up for, you know, over a decade now, and, and it's just one of those things. It's always how I've kind of coped with the world. And I think when people come out to a show, that's kind of what they're looking for, too. You know, I mean, that they want to uh, they want to kind of take a break and they want to kind of reflect and they want to kind of laugh. And, you know, at my shows, especially within the past five years or so, you know, when I go on tour now, everyone who's there is coming to see my show. They know what they're getting into. It's not just comedy night. It's, it's you know, it's my show and, and they know what they're getting into. And so I think a lot of times the laughter is, is very cathartic because it's also a room full of people realizing they're not alone, realizing, mm. oh, there's other people. right, And, and, and it's really pretty freaking cool. I mean, I'll occasionally get tweets and stuff of people, you know, sending me photos that, hey, they all went bowling and they met at one of uh, they met at a Ron Placone and Graham Elwood show. You know what I mean? 
And um, and that's a really freaking cool thing that it's more than just, oh, I'm going to a comedy show because I like this comedian. It's also, hey, I like this comedian and I kind of like the things that he cares about. And I'm meeting other people in my community who care about these things, too. And I, you know, I mean, people have started municipal broadband task force from going to my shows where they're like, yeah, Ron's all about that. And and, and we we have that in common, too. We should exchange information. Uh, you know, the Green Party usually tables like, uh, you know, different group veterans for peace have spoken at our shows. Um, it's a really cool thing. And then with the pandemic still kind of looming, that that's not quite as um, as boisterous as it was. But, um, you know, I'm thrilled to see it coming back. And uh, yeah, I'm going to be touring in April. I, I start in Pittsburgh, then I'm going out to up to Canada for a little bit. So I got Toronto, Ottawa, Montreal, then I'm coming back down. I'm doing Burlington, Vermont, Portland, Maine, Boston, and New York City. Uh, and, you know, folks can get those tickets at romplacone.com. And uh, yeah, I'm really excited to get back out there. But uh, and I, I think there was a second part to your question, but I kind of forgot it. So, oh, no, I, I just said, you know, what do you see as the role of comedy, you know, in these turbulent times? And, and do you bring up, you know, real life issues, uh, you know, political issues in your shows? Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I do. I, I talk about I mean, my stand up set is not like an hour of nothing but politics because, you know, there's more to my life than that. And I like to talk about, you know, just observations. I like to talk about my cat. I like to talk about being a married dude, like whatever else. Yeah. But uh, I definitely talk about what's going on in the world. I talk about, you know, politics. I talk about issues. I talk about, you know, bigger picture things. And, uh, you know, it's cool to be able to do that. and, And it's cool to also just, you know, have an audience who wants that. I mean, they, they want to hear about what's going on in the world. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I think that comedy serves a number of roles. I mean, I mean, I think in some ways it can certainly be used to inform and people do that. And, and that's been a great thing for uh, many, many years. You know, I mean, a lot of people, it's like their first introduction to something might've been like a, a documentary they saw that was, you know, intentionally funny or something like that, but also taught them something. Um, and I think it can also be used as catharsis, which I think is especially important in these times. Um, and I, and I think it can be used to, um, and I guess this kind of goes into catharsis, but it, but it just sort of can be used to just make everybody feel a little bit better at the end of it. You know, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not one of these people who has this delusion that like my stand up's going to fricking, uh, you know, bring about a revolution and change the fricking world. But I'm always the first person to say, look, when you look at any significant change, in the world, art was right there. I mean, you look at something like the Renaissance, the literature was right there, the music was right there, the speakers were right there. You look at something, I mean, more recent times in the United States, the anti-war movement of the 60s, uh, you know, stuff Abby Hoffman was doing, stuff, uh, you know, Bob Dylan, whoever else. Like, I mean, it's always been right there. Art has always gone, you know, side by side with uh, political change. And it's a lie because, you know, they're challenging conventions. That's what art is supposed to do. It's supposed to be challenging. It's supposed to be confrontational. Um, you know, otherwise you're just kind of making fluff. Yeah. No, it is. It, it, it's about disrupting the status quo. It's about pushing the boundaries and, and fighting back against the system when, when the system is, is no longer serving the majority of its people. Uh, and I think that's kind of the times we find ourselves in. It's like, you know, I didn't, I wasn't, I wasn't a Democrat for 18 years. And all of a sudden, like, oh, I'm just going to leave the party because, you know, I want to, I re I did it 
you know, because I realized I had to because the party wasn't going to fight for the change we needed. You know, the party was content with just, you know, stringing people along and, and feeding people empty platitudes and 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 asking people for their vote in order for them to get power so then they can just go in and, and prop up the, the, the system that benefits their corporate donors and themselves. And I think, unfortunately, we've, we're in a time now where if the people want change, we can't count on either of these corporate parties in Washington. We can't count on the politicians. We certainly can't count on the, on the ruling class and the CEOs who are underpaying us and exploiting us. We have to count on ourselves. You know, we have, mm-hmm. if, if the people want change, we got to make it happen. And, and, and we got to build solidarity amongst everyone else who's tired of being exploited and tired of living in an uneven society that just continues to benefit uh, fewer and fewer. And so, you know, that that's where I see, you know, with the third party summit this weekend, just, you know, doing more things, whether it's, uh, you know, direct action or whether it's uh, building third parties in electoral politics, any kind of opportunity to bring people together uh, around building power for the people and, and, and challenging and disrupting the status quo, I'm all for, because I think that's what we need to do if we want to live in a better society. It's not just going to happen on its own. We're going to have right. to make it happen. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm totally with you. And, and I, and I feel like you're, you're kind of this way too. Like electoralism is not really my lane. I'm more interested in direct action. I'm more interested in you know, kind of cause-based initiatives like municipal broadband is a really important cause to me. That city internet, I, I'm, I'm yep. pushing for it in my neighborhood. And uh, usually what little interest in electoralism I do have is at the local level. I mean, there's a guy running for city council where I live. That I've, I've been really behind him and trying to help him out. He's a, he's a young progressive. His name is Brian Odega. But, you know, Again, electoralism is still a tool in the toolkit for change, and it is a necessary one, albeit an annoying one. And, you know, when you look at something like third parties and the need for them, you know, Jill Stein said this when she was on my show. Like, I, I was just like, you know, what do you, can you really do to kind of help out, you know, the cause for third parties? And, and she just said it, and, and it is the truth. you got to freaking join one. And, you know, I, I'm in a kind of, I guess, a transitionary moment myself right now, because, you know, I left the Democrats a while ago. Um, I was never really a proud Democrat, per se. It was just one of those things. I registered when I was 18 years old. I didn't really connect with either political party. But I knew that if I didn't pick Republican or Democrat, I would, you know, not be able to vote in most primaries and stuff like that. This was in Pennsylvania, where I grew up. So I registered Democrat. I'm like, yeah, I mean, that I'm, I'm closer to that than Republican. And, you know, over the years, I was kind of like, yeah, I mean, I guess Democrat, I, I guess that's sort of a, a closer way to, to see the world I want to see. I mean, I'm a lefty, so I don't really fit in anywhere. And then around the time of the Bernie movement in 2016, you really realize just how far off it really was. And it's just like, no. The Democratic Party is not a, quote, more incremental version of the type of world I'd like to see. They actually despise lefties. And when I say they, I don't mean all the people. I I know, you know, because of our system, there's a lot of people that share the same principles as as you and I. And and they just vote Democrat because it's just, you know, it's just what they know. And they're just busy. And and it's just like you're going about your day and, and you're just you haven't really thought of a different way of trying to view the world and there's not really an alternative available to you really. So, 
you know, I don't mean the people. I mean the establishment. I mean the DNC. I mean the people, the donor class. That's who I'm referring to. That establishment despises lefties more than Republicans, way more, because Republicans help keep the gravy train rolling, and they know that. And also, compared to Republicans, they almost seem reasonable. But lefties kind of expose their grift, that it's like, you guys are just a bunch of right-wing lunatics yourself. And in any other freaking country, you'd be seen as such. The only way, I mean, there's so many people. And, and Ryan, there's some people that you and I used to know. Uh, the only thing, I mean, it's like, like the fact that they are labeled progressives is freaking nuts. It's yeah. like, like, dude, you're a Republican. Like, like there's nothing. You're against living wages. You're against ending fracking. You're against doing anything about climate change. You're against health care. You're indifferent to the wars. What what makes you freaking under what under what world would you be considered progressive? Oh, I well, run because they because they go on CNN and make these fancy speeches on TV and they say they're progressive. They use progressive platitudes. It doesn't matter that they oppose all the progressive policies and don't actually fight for anything progressive or fight for policies that improve people's lives. They just they just tell comfortable liberals everything they want to hear. They say, oh, you vote for us and you're a good person. You know, they they, they turn politics into these little personality cults. Where it's like, well, if you vote Democrat, you're a good person. So I must be a good person because I voted blue. I just saved democracy. No, you didn't. You just voted for one of the two right-wing capitalist oligarchic parties that control our system. You didn't save anything. But that's how they get people, right? Because they use the platitudes. They they co-opt the language of of real leftists, right? They say healthcare is a human right, but they don't support the policy, Medicare for Mm -hmm. all, to make it a human right. Or... You know, they say climate change is real. They got that platitude down, but they don't actually support an eco-socialist Green New Deal. And in, actually, they actually, uh, Joe Biden uh, approved more new drilling permits in his first year mm-hmm. than freaking Donald Trump. And, and the Democrats still support fossil fuel subsidies. Uh, you know, then they say things like, well, we're against money in politics. You know, we're, you know, we're, we, we want to get rid of Citizens United. They say that, and then they took more corporate money than freaking the Republicans did in 2020. Joe Biden and the Democrats took more money from Wall Street. So it's all lip service. They say things to make themselves feel better, pat themselves on the back, and then they just support the rigged system. So that's really, when I realized that, I'm like, man, I got to get out. Like, because this isn't a lesser evil. This is real evil to sit and like give people false hope and to, you know, I'm LGBTQ. They... The Democrats love to pander to my community. They love to say, oh, we got your back. And then when push comes to shove, they won't actually fight for my community. They won't fight for trans people on the front lines to have health care. They won't fight for, you know, LGBTQ working class people to get a living wage or to get, you know, affordable housing. No, they'll sit and pander to them for power, but then they won't actually fight for them. So when I realized all that, I'm like, man, this is pure evil to tell people you got their back so you can get their vote. And then you get into power and you stab them and you stab us in the back. Like I couldn't support it anymore. In fact, I felt guilty for falling for their crap for so long that it made it kind of spurned me on to this kind of independent media uh, platform to realize, like, I got to speak out against this because we're never going to have real change in this country. If you've got a party that's occupying the space of where a real leftist socialist party should be. 
because there's nothing left about the Democrats. And that, for me, is what's stopping real change in this country. Not the Republicans, because they don't promise false hope to people. They're not sitting there saying health care is a human right or saying they got LGBTQ people's backs or saying, you know, that they want police reform. You know, every promise Democrats make, they always break because they say that shit for votes and then they just govern for their corporate donors when they have power. They do it every single time. Oh, yeah, man. And, and they always, you know, they lean on that boogeyman of the Republicans like, oh, yeah, we we don't think there should be money in politics, but we got to compete with the Republicans. So this is right. what we have to do. And, and then, you know, you, you hit something else on the head. They have weaponized identity politics for yes. incredibly dishonest means. Yes. And it's really, really terrible because what they're doing is that they're, they're taking things that are actually good things, obviously. I mean, you, you want communities to be represented. You want uh, different groups to have seats at the table. And they take that and they weaponize it for dishonest means. And we all know what that is. It's like, oh, you don't like Hillary Clinton, you're sexist. You don't like Kamala <laughs> Harris, you're racist. And, and they're using people. And, yep. and then what it does is it turns people off to the actual issues themselves. It, it turns people like when you when you're speaking on behalf or, 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 you know, trying to help marginalized communities in different communities, that's seen as a bad thing because people don't uh, people aren't able to sniff out the difference between is this genuine or is this weaponizing it for an agenda like what the Democratic establishment does. And, and that is just it, it's so twisted and, and terrible, man. It, it's just Absolutely. so terrible. No, they they weaponize identity politics to get power and then turn around and govern for Wall Street when they actually have power and do nothing to help the very marginalized people who they pander to for votes. And that, for me, is just wrong. It, it, it's evil. And, and, and that's why we need real representation. The people don't have yeah. representation in our government and, and the people deserve it, uh, especially the people who are being stepped on. Uh, by the oligarchy. And, and that's who I try to advocate for uh, and and so forth. Uh, Rob, do we have a finally have a caller on the line? Should we should we get them in here and then and then wrap up? Because I think we're just at about an hour. Yeah, we're just at about an hour. I don't see anyone lined up in the queue right now. So if anyone it listening said, does it says waiting ask for it says waiting for caller one caller. I don't see that on my oh. phone. So let me try to refresh I, I it and see. I see it too, actually. It says okay, one caller. Caller, okay. Now it refreshed, and Jamie, you are ready to go. Just unmute yourself and, and ask whatever questions you have. Hey, uh, this is super cool. Um, just installed this app for you guys uh, to participate in this. Um, I just wanted to chime in, uh, not really with a question, but just a few comments. Um, Please. You know, you know uh, as as we were talking about, like, uh, you know, the weaponization of wokeness and, mm. uh, and you know, social justice type of topics. Um, for those who haven't seen it, I'd recommend uh, searching for the woke CIA recruitment ad. It's insane <laughs> to watch. And the whole Internet, like, exploded when this came out um, because everyone kind of called them on their bullshit. They said, hey, like you're the CIA, you go around like overthrowing countries and so, like governments and, you know, fighting against communists and progressives around the world. And you're going to pull all of these like, you know, lived experience cards and all this stuff. And it's like, 
you know, I mean, you guys are the greatest purveyors of evil in the world, and y'all are trying to like wokeify imperialism. Um, and so I would recommend that listeners go watch that. And then also Moderate Rebels um, made a hilarious parody of it. And it's just chock full of like great CIA references in terms of like the heinous things that the CIA has done in the past. But they're still using kind of like this, you know, woke language to try to describe it and disseminate these facts about the evils. Um, so I just thought, I thought that was really kind of a two two bits of media for people to go chase down. Nice. That's yeah, fantastic, Jamie. That Thank ad. you. You mentioned that ad, Jamie, because I, I remember when that came out. I, I don't remember the parody, but but I do remember that ad, and yeah, that was that was pretty. I mean, you you gotta laugh or you'll go nuts, right? But but yeah, that was quite something. Yeah, and actually, um, I'm going to reply to the link to this, uh, whatever it's called. What is this? It's the Colin. I'm gonna reply with the um, uh, the parody that. I guess multi multipolarista. They rebranded to multipolarista, so I'll send that on Twitter. Fantastic! Thank you so much, Jamie, and thank you for participating uh, in, in the show today. And and I, your insight is is much appreciated. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Awesome. Well, Ron, uh, thank you for for doing your first call in. Um, uh, I know the. The third party summit, uh, their big speakers tonight are Jill Stein, who, who was the Green Party candidate in 2016, uh, and Brianna uh, Joy Gray. Uh, so I think that'll be fantastic. So I encourage everyone. Uh, I think it starts at 730. It's on Rockfin. Uh, so I hope that everyone will go, go over there. And uh, I know I'll be speaking at the third party summit uh, this Sunday, I think at 4 p.m. Eastern. I'm on a panel. Uh, how about you, Ron? I know you're participating as well. Yeah, I think I'm right. I think I'm right before you, man. I'm on Sunday as well. And I think I'm at, um, I think I'm at three Eastern. I think I'm noon my time. So yeah. Yeah. I think I'll be, I'll be there on Sunday. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a good time. And, and if you don't mind, I'll, I'll mention again, I, I do have tour dates coming up in April. It kicks off April 16th. I'll be in Pittsburgh. That I'm going up to Canada. I'm going to be in Toronto, Ottawa, Montreal, Burlington, Vermont, Portland, Maine. Boston in New York City. And uh, Jill Stein's actually going to join me for a song at the end of the show in Boston. So I'm really looking forward to that. So uh, grab tickets. You can get them at romplicone.com. Uh, awesome, Ron. Thank you so much. I hope everyone checks that out. And thank you guys for joining us today on another episode of Unruly.